Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, a series of author-hosted podcasts uh, distributing literary content to a worldwide audience. I'm your host, Landis Wade, a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories, and I really appreciate you being here. Very quickly, before we get to the uninterrupted interview today, a few quick words about some of the benefits uh, for our listeners. Number one, we have show notes uh, for every episode uh, with images, links, and information about our authors at charlottereaderspodcast.com. And number two, if you're into audiobooks, uh, we have a relationship with Libro.fm, which supports indie bookstores. If you sign up with Libro to get your audiobooks and use the promo code CHARLOTTEREADER, you'll get an extra audiobook free. Number three, if you go to charlottereaderspodcast.com or my personal website, landisway.com, and you sign up for the book report, you're going to get it every other Tuesday. And here's what you'll get. Recommended readings, author interviews and videos, reading and writing tips, doses of inspiration, a free ebook by yours truly, and more. We won't spam you. That takes way too much time. And finally, we've got a lot of great content we put out on our exclusive Patreon channel. If you like what we do here, uh, that is our mission of helping authors give voice to their written words, and you'd like to help us uh, defray the costs of this project, you can jump over to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast, and you can tap into all the great extra content we've got that's curated by our authors and me about uh, their writing lives and the craft and business of writing and other things too. But enough with the prologue. Let's get to the uninterrupted story of our guest and the one they've written. In today's episode, we visit with Bess Kircher, author of Now and at the Hour, a compelling middle-grade novel which follows 12-year-old Albert Davidson through a challenging year in his life. With faith, compassion, love, adventure, and friendship, Albert tries to accept his mother's cancer diagnosis, all while learning to let go of the secrets and lies he tells to protect her. After saving a baby shark from the surf, a video of the event goes viral and Albert uses his newfound popularity to help his mother find a path to healing. A quieter adventure unfolds with the boys and a mysterious stranger whose unsafe circumstances lead Albert to double down on his secrets and lies. Kimry Martin, author of The Queen of Hearts and The Antidote for Everything, has this to say about the book. Bess Kircher's debut novel brilliantly captures the singular world of a middle school kid. Albert Davison is an endearing, compelling hero, forced to navigate his mother's distressing diagnosis and his own newfound celebrity at the most awkward and uncertain of ages. Now and at the hour is the best kid lit I've read in a long, long time. Bess, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Landis. Yeah, so you're you're a fellow Davidson Wildcat. Yeah. Yes. Go yeah. Wildcats. <laughs> Go Wildcats. I, I was just I was wondering. Did the last name for your protagonist have anything to do with where you went to school? My Yes. I'm not very subtle uh, with my shout outs, as it turns out. And yes, the name Albert Davidson uh, was a nod to uh, that fabulous school. 
Yeah. So what did you take away from Davidson? Oh, gosh. Um, You know, I think the thing that I loved the most about Davidson was that it was so challenging, but it was also so affirming. I just think the relationships that we had with fellow students and our professors was so unique. And um, it really pushed you while building your confidence and kind of getting you ready to be out in the world and hopefully contribute um, in meaningful ways. The values of a liberal arts education. So parents out there, if you're listening, when you tell your child you got to go get a science degree or an MBA or something, don't forget about the schools like Davidson College where you can get a liberal arts degree. And then after you do get that career later in life, you can start writing books like I did. (laughs) And and like Bess did here, right? So so you... um, Yes, you've been writing a lot. Uh, this is your first novel. You've you've written for the Huffington Post. You wrote some columns for the Charlotte Observer for years, blogs about uh, worst mom ever, and so forth. You and Tracy Curtis kind of fall in that same same group, right? Yes, yes. We have mastered the art of imperfection uh, with our mothering, so <laughs> we do have that in common. That's that's great, and y'all are good friends too. Something we're going to be talking about on our Patreon channel when listeners we jump over after this episode, uh, cause we're going to talk about, uh, you know, how, you know, writing community can help authors and, and she's a part of, uh, Bess's writing community, but having set up that background, Bess, two questions I've got here. One, why did you want to make this shift, um, from what you've been writing to writing a novel? I think, um, like a lot of writers, you know, the novel is a big, item on the bucket list. And so I had a lot of interest in trying to um, trying to do that and actually had started another novel that I have not finished. It was a women's fiction book, um, probably on the most opposite end of the spectrum from the one that I actually did write. Uh, it was affectionately dubbed the psycho novel by my writing group. Um, it was kind of a hateful, bitter little book, um, which is actually very fun to write. But um, several things kind of coincided that provided the fertile ground for this particular story and finishing this novel. Um, and the first was reading a middle grade contemporary novel with one of my boys, um, the book Wonder. Uh, both of my boys relatively early on um, at different times, made the startling pronouncement that they hated to read, which was fabulous. I was like, hello, I'm a writer, so that's that's awesome. Um, but when I recovered a little bit, my response was, I think you just haven't found the right book. And so we began reading some together. And when my youngest and I read Wonder, which again is another middle grade contemporary novel, um, two things happened that were wonderful. One was it changed his view of reading. And he recognized if that book was cool and resonated with him, there actually might be other ones out there that could do the same. And for me as a writer, it really planted a seed about the ability to tell meaningful stories that dealt with serious subject matter, but in a way that was manageable for kids. And so that seed was planted at that time. Um, I had a sort of inspired trip to San Francisco, and that ended up being the setting for the book. And then um, the biggest inspiration came from a friend of mine, Sherry Gerson, who very courageously battled cancer. And she was such a bright, 
light and such a, a amazing energy um, that when she died, I really was committed to finishing this story that she had helped to inspire. So all these things sort of came together and and were the recipe for <laughs> wanting to do this particular book and and actually, you know, seeing it across the finish line. Yeah, that, that's a great recipe. Our son as well, when he was coming along and playing sports and doing other things, he didn't want to read until, you know, miraculously the Harry Potter book showed up and uh, he jumped right in and, and we couldn't snatch him away from him, you know, while everybody else wanted to read him too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But um, I think now he reads mostly on his phone, you know, but. Uh, that is a common, yes. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but I like that. So tell me about this inspiring trip to San Francisco. Well, I think it's so interesting. I have found um, just as a writer, not just with this book, but in general, sometimes when you break out of your normal routine and your everyday spaces, you really can get this sort of infusion of creative energy um, and you sort of see things with a different kind of clarity or just find things to be more interesting, sort of brought into sharp relief. And um, I had had a conversation with my friend Sherry about her experience right before this trip to San Francisco. And then when I was on this trip, it's just hard to explain exactly what happened, but just every time I turned around, there were just different pieces of the story that were snapping into place. I just had such a strong feeling about the protagonist that he would be a 12 year old boy, a middle school boy, that it would be that kind of a novel, like wonder that, that sort of story. Um, we had uh, something similar to the shark rescue that occurs in the book that we happened upon when we were hiking. And I just, and I love the city of San Francisco. So it just, I think because that creative energy was so closely tied to that trip and that space, I really wanted to try to maintain that energy um, when I was working on the less uh, glamorous and fun <laughs> pieces of, of writing. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting, you know, as writers, sometimes we say, okay, I'm going to take an escape. I'm going to go somewhere. I'm going to take a trip and travel. And then you get into that space and something happens that turns your writer's brain on again, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, well, let's do this. Let's talk about, uh, you know, the book cover and what people see when they pick it up. Uh, the name of, of the book is Now and at the Hour. And on the cover, uh, it looks like we see a silhouette. It uh, looks like it could be a teenage boy holding a skateboard on a – looks like it could be uh, some kind of bridge below the Golden Gate uh, – Although that's fiction, I don't think there's another bridge out there. <laughs> there are a lot of places where you can can view the Golden Gate Bridge from the floor. Um, okay, so he's he's looking up at the Golden Gate. It's kind of a you know orangey sky with some yellow in the distance, as if the sun is setting. Perhaps uh, tell us about this cover and what you what that what it says to you. Yes, I adore this cover. Um, I just think they did a great job capturing different elements of the book. And so we do have the silhouette of the protagonist, Albert Davidson, with his skateboard. He loves skateboarding. It's his passion. It's his escape. And so that's a that's a big part of the story. Not every aspect of the story is sort of heavy and, and uh, serious. There are some lighter elements. Um, the skateboarding is very much featured in the story. What I really like about the cover is that there's a play 
between light and dark, um, between color and the absence of color. And I think that that's a tension that is explored in the book. Um, the title, Now and at the Hour, comes from a line from the Hail Mary prayer, which says, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. And of course, obviously, that's a very heavy sentiment. But I think what's important and part of what the cover lifts up is it's not just the hour of the end of life, but it's all of the hours. And what is equally important is the now and the today. And that's one of the major lessons in the book, which is that, you know, we may not know what tomorrow holds, but we do know we have the gift of now. Yeah, and if you pay close attention to the cover, you'll notice that the words now and hour are uh, in bold. Uh, they are also all caps, uh, so they stand out on the cover. Um, so, Bess, are you Catholic? Uh, did that come into the story? I am I am not Catholic. I'm, I'm, I'm Presbyterian. Uh, and actually, I was serving as a deacon at my church, Myers Park Presbyterian Church, when um, I wrote the story and also as a confirmation leader. And I think that those experiences certainly helped inform uh, my treatment of the story. Um, my friend Sherry was uh, Catholic and had just a very beautiful faith. And that became um, very inspiring to me, too. And I, I wanted um, the story to kind of reflect those elements of a faith journey where someone is questioning things and struggling with things and trying to make peace with the harder things that we face in life. Um, yeah. And one of the difficult uh, and touching aspects of this book is the pilgrimage that uh, the protagonist Albert takes with his mother, who's suffering from cancer to Rome, to the Vatican, to see the Pope. And of course he has in mind, perhaps that miracles can happen. And, uh, you know, that's part of what his arc is, what he's hoping for. We're not going to give away any spoilers here, obviously, but uh, I'm just curious because sometimes when authors write books and you were very invested in this book for a number of different reasons, uh, authors kind of go on their own little pilgrimage as well. Um, how, how was writing this book for you and what did you learn from from this process? Well, it was such a humbling process and such a circuitous route, which I think is not uncommon for a lot of authors, especially with a debut experience. Um, I remember I was the most confident about this story the day that I finished, and I remember when it was, October 31st, 2016. <laughs> the Halloween, a very scary ending to a very <laughs> poignant book. Yeah. Well, on that Halloween day, I wrote the, I typed the end, and that was the end of the first draft, and I was supremely confident. This was this book, it like it existed. It was done. Let's who wants it? Let's get it out there, you know. Um, and then began the process of having beta readers read it and incorporating that feedback, querying agents for agent representation and incorporating the feedback from those rejections, mm -hmm. um, continuing to try to learn about kid lit and about this particular genre and age category, which was very different from anything else that I'd ever written. And I was the mother of 
middle school boys. And so I thought, well, you know, I'm well-versed in this, but really trying to capture the voice and to try to make this a book that would resonate with that group. That was a whole, there were just a lot, (laughs) there were a lot of hurdles yet to clear. Um, But it was, you know, one thing I will say, and I think that this is, uh, again, um, probably true for many, many writers. Um, The highs can be really high and the lows can be really low. But if you're able to sort of absorb feedback and allow yourself the space to sort of marinate it and in it a little bit. What I found is you can definitely learn and grow and improve your book or your blog or whatever the case may be. But also if there are things that you feel very passionate about that you don't want to change, um, it makes you really sort of critically examine all those aspects. And then maybe things there are things that you don't, that aren't different after feedback or what have you, or being challenged or having a rejection or, um, and so, but it really makes you be super intentional about your writing. And that's a good thing for your reader. Yeah. All authors uh, say they have thick skin until they start you know, getting all their feedback and then, <laughs> and then they have to, then they have to actually own up to what they, what they've said, but I, I'm with you. I think it's a learning process. You know, we're always learning. We're always uh, growing and um, it's great to hit the end and think it's the most fabulous thing that's ever happened. And, uh, but then you got to get knocked down a notch or two to make it even better. Right. That's right. I mean, and I, I will say that with every rejection from like agent rejection where they were kind enough to actually offer some insights um, and feedback. And that's a gift. It doesn't feel like a gift often when you first receive it, but it truly is because when I was able to go through that process and then try to incorporate that feedback into the writing, there's no doubt that the the book just improved by leaps and bounds. And in some instances, I determined, you know what, I really need to look at taking like an online course around this one place where I'm just not quite getting it. I need to consider, you know, having another storyline introduced that's going to round out some of these issues that I'm having. And so, um, you know, your brain may not just may not be able to incorporate that kind of, um, those ideas until it's challenged and then that thinking process begins again. No, that's, that's great. Uh, advice from, from experience. I've, I've experienced it too. And also in that process, you think of other good ideas to help, you know, the work that, that weren't there before, because you're getting this feedback, you're getting your brain back into it. And there's a different brain side, I think, that goes on when you revise, you know, than when you're first creating. And yeah. uh, that, that's an important part too. Well, let's do this. On Charlotte's podcast, part of the brand is we have the uh, authors read their work and uh, you've got a reading here. You're going to start, uh, I think, at a good place, uh, the beginning of the book. So uh, probably not too much to set up because if somebody's going to pick it up and read it, they're going to start at the beginning. So why don't you just start in and uh, we'll talk some more after you read it. Okay, perfect. The boy wants to look away, but he can't take his eyes off the beautiful black and white beast rolling in the surf. It's battered against the rocks with each wave, then dragged back out, only to come tumbling forward again. At first, he can't tell what exactly he's seen. But when the sun hits upon a dorsal fin, he realizes it's a young shark. A crowd has started to gather at the shore, 
People pull out their phones and begin to take pictures and videos. Every time the waves retreat, the boy hopes they'll be strong enough to force the shark back to where it belongs. Instead, the opposite is happening. The shark gets closer and closer to the shore. One thing is clear. This animal is suffering. The boy doesn't have a plan. He's not really thinking. He slips out of his shoes and gets rid of his phone. The water is so cold, and the shark is a shark. None of that matters, though. All he knows is there's no way he's going to just stand there and watch something die. Summer. Chapter One. Tricks and Lies. The craziest thing isn't that I decided to post my most embarrassing moment on YouTube. The craziest thing is that it had been mom's idea. Then again, that's the way me and mom usually roll. Except in this case, we're talking about a skateboarding video, and that can be a little different. It's probably the only major thing we don't have in common. I don't take it personally, though. Blunt and Jabari had the same deal as me. All our moms hate that we board. Well, maybe hate's a strong word, but they all worry a lot about the fact that we board and we do it on the streets of San Francisco, which I admit has really steep hills. So sweet. That's not our fault. We live here. Are we supposed to get on a plane and fly to someplace really flat and boring every time we want to skateboard? I don't think so. We've agreed to wear helmets when we do it, which is pretty annoying, but I get it, and to mostly stick to the parks, but only certain parts of the park and not at night, and always with someone else. It had been a real pain to hammer out these details. But once we had, I was typically good to go without getting a lot of grief, and I've never given Mom a real reason to shut it down until earlier today. I tried to sneak past her this morning through the back door and over to the bathroom to grab a towel to stop the blood, but there was no way to avoid the kitchen, and that's where she was parked. I pulled the sleeve of my hoodie until it wrapped over my whole hand, covering my arm completely. I could feel the wetness seep into the sleeve. I stretched the whole mess tight around the scrapes on my stomach. Tears burned my eyes when it brushed against the skin, but I shut that right down. I set my face like normal, except with a little smile. It wasn't one of those times I wanted to lie to her, even though there was no choice now. It was more that I didn't want her to feel bad about boarding. And okay, I really didn't want her to feel bad about me. A long time ago, I hadn't cared about that. I couldn't because I was little. There were problems that you might say were my fault, or if you were sister, you'd say, it's not fair to talk about fault because of all the stuff that had happened to us. These are details that aren't important. This is, I hurt my mom a lot. It's my worst thing. It won't ever happen again. All right, good foreshadowing here. Uh, (laughs) We've got the shark, which, uh, by the way, I think uh, becomes kind of... uh, Part of what this protagonist, Albert Davidson, the 12-year-old skateboarder yeah. who's just found out his mother has cancer, uh, uses to, he thinks, try to save her. Uh, how does he, what's his idea here? He, he's he's gotten a little fame from saving this shark. It goes viral. So yeah. what's the 12-year-old brain thinking? Right. So what ends up happening, and this is a very unexpected thing. So as you said, it, this in this part of the story where he encounters the shark, Um, that's being battered in the surf and just keeps getting pushed closer and closer to the shore is his mom has been diagnosed. She's going through her treatment and that's definitely in his sort of subconscious struggling with that reality. And he doesn't really think about it, but he just enters the water and pulls the shark to safety. And, you know, being that it's modern times um, that gets recorded and videoed and goes viral and, So what comes of it, and actually the idea comes from his friends and from his school community, um, but they come up with a fundraising idea called Save the Shark. 
And it it initially revolves around skateboarding and getting donations to do skateboarding tricks. Um, But then it sort of evolves into people challenging each other. And you can do other things besides skateboarding. Um, If you do this, do your challenges, then you receive the donations. And that helps to raise money for cancer research. And the idea for that really kind of came, um, was inspired by the ice bucket challenges that we saw kind of explode across the country. Mm -hmm. Um, So it took, you know, at one point he kind of, he wonders maybe that that's why all this happened. Like maybe this, the shark, I happened upon the shark and I saved it. And, and all these people now know who I am. And maybe all that was meant to happen so that I would have a way to help my mom beat cancer. Yeah. And you, you know, Bess, you deal with a lot of issues in this book. Uh, and, and I think, you know, good middle grade, young adult uh, fiction uh, is about telling truth as well. I mean, you know, you find some good truths in fiction and you dealt with a lot of things, uh, military families, social media, fame, the cancer, the mother who's going through it and the son who has to deal with it. Veterans, they meet a homeless veteran, single parents, his dad died years ago and the religion aspect of it. So you've got a lot packed into this story is any one of these themes uh, resonate with you more than the other? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think they each sort of uh, resonate in different ways with me. And I, I think it's interesting. And, you know, as a writer, it's when you have an opportunity to tell a story, you have a platform, you're going to put something out there. I do think it's um, probably all writers sort of, contemplate what, what do I want to say? Like, what are things that I want to acknowledge? What do I want to lift up? What do I want to comment on? And so I think that approach allowed for several issues to kind of bubble up to the surface. And I really loved addressing those issues in this upper middle grade book. And it's probably, it's most apt to say that it's an upper middle grade, which would be right below young adult age. I think the age of the protagonist 12 around that age is a good age for readers. Um, and, you know, in the market, historically, there's been a little bit of a, of a hole there because, you know, you have kids who, who want to explore all those issues like that you mentioned, serious issues and meaningful topics. But given their ages, it may be that it needs to also, uh, it, it's only appropriate if there's, you know, not bad language or other elements that are too adult. And so um, upper middle grade and middle grade tends to take, you know, can deal with serious issues, but in a hopeful mm. way. And so I was really, glad to have the chance to tell this particular story in a way that was poignant, but ultimately optimistic. Yeah. And you use it by letting the kids give each other nicknames and do the kind of things that uh, middle schoolers do. Um, I noticed in your acknowledgements, Bess, uh, you write in the first paragraph of your acknowledgements and now and at the hour, Mary says, I'm so grateful for my life, this beautiful life. All I can see are my blessings. And you say those were the first lines penned for this novel they're not the first lines that actually appear in the novel, but you say they're the first lines penned, but they're the ones you feel most deeply about as far as the evolution of the sentiment that became the idea, then the story. Talk about that. As you have said, those are not the first lines of the book. And in fact, it's very 
close to the last lines of the book. Um, And when I think back to the inspiration that Sherry provided for the story, um, that is one aspect that is really directly tied to her. And um, she, after enduring multiple surgeries and chemo and treatments, determined that she wanted to go to Rome to pray. And uh, that trip that's inspired the trip in the, in the story. And when she took that trip and communicated back with us, her friends about it, she said that line, she said, um, you know, all, as I look around and I'm in this space and I'm here and I'm praying and I'm all I can think about are my blessings. All I can see are my blessings. And, uh, that just sort of steamrolled my heart <laughs> in a very instructive way. And it was that, that whole sentiment where I just, I just had this overwhelming feeling like this is that, that is something that should be captured in a way that people can navigate and feel and experience and be out in the world. And, you know, I had a conversation with her about it. Um, I didn't really know the elements of the story that at that point, but I just said, you know, I'm really, I just really have this feeling about this and, and maybe you don't want me to write about it, or maybe you want to write something about it, or it is, you know, this inspiration is very much yours. And she said, you know, I think that it's a a wonderful idea to try to put that into a story and I would love for you to try to do it. And so. Well, I love that uh, the idea came, you know, that sort of forms the centerpiece for the story is something that you wrote first, but comes closer to the end of the book. And then you go back and you figure out, okay, how am I going to tell this and do justice to, to this story through the eyes of this uh, 12 year old skateboarder? Well, yes, this, this 12 year old, you know, uh, 12 year old boys can be very imperfect, <laughs> can be very wild and silly and impulsive, but you know, they also have the capacity for really deep friendships and really deep empathy. And so I, I very much enjoyed um, creating and, and getting to know and love that, that very dear, imperfect um, character. Well, you're not the only one that takes your alma mater and throws them into a book. I actually, uh, in one of my books, uh, I had a character, uh, Judge uh, Ratliff Davidson, uh, actually made an appearance in one book. I had to give Davidson a nod somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in the book. He was a friend of the Judge Augustus Langhorn Stark. So I had to throw that in there. There you um, go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But a uh, couple of questions uh, about writing life and the few minutes we have left here. Um, we've already talked a little bit about your transition a little bit from to writing the novel from what you wrote before. Um, but you've been writing for a while and, you know, now you've got a novel. I'm just curious. Uh, I ask this question sometimes. What would you tell your younger writing self? Something uh, valuable that had she known it, uh, it might have helped her along that path? Oh, gosh. Um, I think retrospectively, I would just say know that every step that you take, even if it doesn't feel like it's forward, is getting you closer to your goal and to realizing your dream, that it may be that you have to go this way to get that way. And you won't end up in the right place until you've 
gone down the wrong road for a minute. And sometimes it can just be so punishing when you there's no concrete finish line. You're just writing and writing and you're you're trying to get it to a certain place. And some days feel really great. And some days feel really like, what am I doing? This is never going to come to pass. But all of those pieces um, will serve you well. Did you find that your writing process had to change any from writing the shorter pieces to writing the novel? Yes. <laughs> um, I think, you know, writing the shorter blogs, which was what probably the majority of my writing um, before this was creative nonfiction blogs. And, uh, you know, you would have just a, a, a contained idea and just uh, it was a very um, I'm trying to think of the right word. It was a very um, limited exercise, I guess. You know, you there were just different pieces. Your voice was your voice. And you just, you know, obviously you would still edit and have those different passes. But, but to understand that to have a novel incorporate all of the pieces that a good novel should, I mean, that is just many layers of of um, expertise that no one has um, until you <laughs> get that experience and you know expose yourself to learning about these different things, everything from plotting and pacing and voice to things that are specific to your genre and your age categories. Um, it's it was a much bigger um, project than anything that I had ever attempted before. And the other thing, I, I don't know what your creative process is, but for me, I, I obviously, I sort of started with the end in mind and then I had scenes, but I didn't sit down and it's like chapter one, sentence one. I mean, it was all over the place. Yeah. And in fact, I think a lot of my grieving Sherry's death created pages and pages and pages of what ended up being backstory um, sort of like emotionally hemorrhaging on the page that I just sort of had to get through that to land in the space where I could write the story as it was, as it needed to be told. It would be appropriate to be told. Well, that's great. It sounds like you got a lot uh, out of writing this book and you've put a great message into the world. I enjoyed reading it. Uh, what do you hope that uh, readers get from the book when they read it? Well, I hope right now that readers can use the book to help navigate these uncertain times that we're in. Um, because this has been such a difficult and challenging year and continues to be for so many families. Um, and I think that message of embracing the moment and embracing the now and you know, allowing yourself to feel hard feelings and to acknowledge hard challenges, but to also recognize that there are things that are greater than that. There are things that transcend our human condition, um, like art, like faith, like love. Um, I do believe those are all things that are lifted up in this story. And I hope that, that that's something that can provide some comfort uh, to readers right now. Yeah, well said. Um, and it is. And, and listeners, we got a treat for you now. If you're a 
interested in uh, getting some extra content here, you can jump over to our Patreon page. Uh, Bess and I are going to go over there. It's uh, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. It's a place where we provide exclusive content uh, to those of you who help us, help authors give voice to the written words. And it's only like five bucks a month. You can get all this content. So uh, I don't know, that's a cup of coffee or something, but you're going to get something in return. And for this one, you're going to get uh, Bess and I talking about uh, platform, peril, and potential, the writing community as an affirming balm. And she's going to talk, she's going to use some of her, uh, I guess, uh, non-writing world background here and what she's learned there, to, how it merges together with her writing world to talk about how a writing community can be helpful to the process. Uh, so join us there. Uh, Bess, thanks so much for being a part of Charlotte Reader's Podcast. Thank you so much, Landis. I really enjoyed it. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice, because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.